0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Even today, there are those who are trying to silence our words. But the voices of this conference and of the women at YRO must be heard loudly and clearly. It is a violation of human rights. When babies are denied food or drowned or suffocated, or their spines broken, simply because they are born girls. It is a violation of human rights when women and girls are sold into the slavery of prostitution for human greed and the kinds of reasons that are used to justify this practice should no longer be tolerated. It is a violation of human rights when women are doused with gasoline, set on fire, and burned to death because their marriage dowries are deemed too small. It is a violation of human rights when individual women are raped in their own communities and when thousands of women are subjected to rape as a tactic or prize of war. It is a violation of human rights when a leading cause of death worldwide among women ages 14 to 44 is the violence they are subjected to in their own homes by their own relatives. It is a violation of human rights when young girls are brutalized by the painful and degrading practice of genital mutilation. It is a violation of human rights when women are denied the right to plan their own families, and that includes being forced to have abortions or being sterilized against their will. If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all.
2: Hey! You're so what I'm saying. Yeah. Trying to catch the beat, make up your heart. Thank you.
3: Hello, this is um, May the 9th, 2017, and um, this is Faith, the founder of Global Women's Social Enterprise, speaking with um, Ms. Anne Ryungu, We will um, we'll be talking about education in Africa, um, but specifically Kenya. A little bit about her background, so Anne Ryungu is a performance consultant so Anriungu is a well-respected performance consultant. She's a trainer and a speaker and a writer. She's the lead consultant of Sulwe Consulting, a personal and business development firm that focuses on human potential. Today, she'll be sharing some of her expertise, and um, she'll also give us some insights into, um, you know, the, the education, uh, its relationship to development, and also the we'll also gain some insights into the situation of. Um, you know, the sciences, development, and uh, performance of girls. And always, please remember, this is in the Kenyan context. So um, to summarize her background real quick, she has over 15 years' experience working with different top companies in their commercial departments. Um, and some of the companies she has worked for include Commercial, Bank of Africa, some of you may know it as CBA, Coca-Cola, Nairobi Bottlers, um, Telcom Kenya, And um, during her extensive career in corporate Kenya, she has risen to um, senior level position in several of these corporations. So in Telcom Kenya, she headed the customer experience centers and successfully accomplished the complete setup of business unit. So we'll also... Um, We also can see here that as we talk, she's also coming from an entrepreneurial background, business development background, and an educational background. Um, Why do I say that? Because as a consultant, she has worked with various organizations, including ILO, which um, stands for International Labor Organization, Kenya Industrial Estates, Micro and Small Enterprises Authority, which um, for those of you who are not very familiar with these kind of um, organizations, the organizations that support micro and small businesses with training, development, consulting, and also micro micro microcredit, and also helping them to come up with um, good and functional savings plans for their security, for their family projects, for the small projects, for the women projects, and so on and so forth. So she's also been part of the Women Enterprise Fund, which is quite popular here in Kenya. And I would highly recommend you all look into that fund um, because that fund shares a lot of insights as to the challenges that a lot of women and young girls um, face, as well as, you know, families in general. Yeah. So I can go through a whole list of credentials and expertise that she has, including, you know, um, you know, um, working for the United States International University, which is USIU, the Goldman Sachs Foundation and Jomo Kenyatta Foundation, Fairway Sacco, amongst others. So that basically is just, um, you know, a tip of the iceberg. I just wanted you all to know a little bit about her um, so that um, if if you all um, would like to have some follow-up questions in any of the areas that I have mentioned that are part of her expertise, then just feel free, you know, to go ahead and um, and share those with me, and then I will, you know, maybe link you up or, you know, do the interview on your behalf. So basically we're just going to... Um, Go into the interview. So, here we go. So, I'll let Anne introduce herself a little bit. I know I've already summarized a lot of her expertise, but I just wanted to say hello, and then we'll dive right into today's
0: interview. Thank you so much, Faith. I think after that introduction, I don't think I need to say any more, but I'll just say a quick good morning to you all listening out there, and I'm glad to be here. I'm Truly glad to be here, I think faith has done a lot of justice in introducing me. I hope I can live up to that um, that, that, that that intro. Thank you very much faith <laughs> of course Anne I mean um,
3: there's one thing I want you all to know like I'm always surrounded by the most brilliant women and um and that is one of the reasons why I thought it would be nice for me to speak to somebody who has all this expertise and can help us, you know, get to know about education in from different angles and um, the education system in Kenya. And as we go through the interview, we'll also touch a little bit on STEM, but we like to take the approach of STEAM because um, from prior research, I realized that a lot of the girls. Um, Still like to be engaged in the arts and looking into the arts. um, We realize that there's a lot of um, Science in the arts as well. So I think Anne is a perfect person to interview because of her very broad background academic Educational entrepreneurial and also business development both in development work humanitarian and corporate Yeah, so I guess Anne, the first question I have is what would it take to improve um, girls education in general in Kenya
0: I think that in Kenya, we've done a lot where girls are concerned, because a while back, I when I was a child myself, I remember that there was a program that was started on the girl child, into educating the girl child, because remember, historically, in our society, girls were not, or rather, the boy was given preference over the girl where education was concerned. So if there was a scenario whereby parents did not have the kind of resource they would need to educate the kids, then they would take the boy to school and the girl would stay home. Some of them, even, it was not resource-related. It was just a decision that since the girl was going to get married anyway and leave their home anyway, and she was never going to rise in the job market or or go into any form of career, then let us not educate her. Now, so we have done well where the girls are concerned because forward to today, girls are educated. And because of that program, you find a scenario where, even when we look at results of edu- of national examinations, you'll find scenarios where girls are outperforming boys. And many times also, um, even in the, what you're calling the sciences and the math subjects, there's subjects that were weak, but that girls were said to be weak in. There's a lot of improvement on that. So there has been a lot of improvement in educating girls. Now, what we can do now, I believe, is because there has been a lot of affirmative action, again, I, I, sorry, I did not mention that there was affirmative action. There was a time when When it came to going to university, the girl would be taken. I think the the entry marks for a girl was lower than that of a boy, which was okay. It helped girls get in because it was recognizing that girls had more challenges than boys did. Now, I think that uh, the improvements we can make are actually improvements around social aspects aspects here being the role girls play at home because remember that yes much as we have said let us take girls to school and we have encouraged that to happen the girl is still going to school coming back home and doing so much more work at home household work that is that the boy is not doing so you find that that it's a lot of time that the girl would spend on homework on academics then also when it comes to i think we've even had conversations about uh, pregnancies what we're calling unintended pregnancies now again if there's education around that sex education specifically i feel that that would go a long way in improving um the girl's position where education is concerned because that again is another thing that makes girls, um, what, what do you call it, um, drop out of school. Then there are certain traditions that we have, certain communities we have still have traditions where they marry off girls still at a young age. So I feel again looking into that. If we were able to enforce, yes, I actually think that it is not legal. For a girl to be married under the age of eighteen, but again, if we are able to to enforce it, further, because we still do have scenarios where girls are being married off at a young age, especially when there is um what you call a financial constraint in the family. the girl is seen as an investment and is married off for bright bright price. To help out the family, that kind of education. If we're able to educate our society in that sense, I feel that would be really, really great. And um, the other thing I feel is that even as we took the position of educating the girl child and affirmative action where girls were concerned, you know, lowering the the marks that the the marks that takes them to university, I feel that that was We are still isolating the problem, we are isolating the girls and not empowering the boy. We are empowering the girl and not empowering the boy. For me, I feel that it is something that we should do as a societal topic rather than isolating the girl and saying, let's empower the girl. No, I feel we should empower the society. Thank you. I
3: totally agree with you.
0: Um I mean we had
3: the Millennium Development Goals and now there's the Sustainable Development Goals. And um there is one of the main goals is um quality education. And um there has been a lot of um progress and um the current number um is around 62 million girls still uneducated, which is nothing close to the statistics of boys who are uneducated or even have access to school and, I, and this, this, this discussion is actually um, very critical the point you made about the boys because a lot of times even when we have dialogue with other organizations or you know projects or programs they always say you know we should focus on the boys as well but our response to them is always um, if you have two patients and one is on ICU life support and one can walk who are you going to focus on you know saving first so that's what like our my organization sees takes that approach that we're not we don't want to alienate the boy we just have two patients one can walk and breathe the other one is on is in you know you know is like in icu so we're like okay who are we going to help first and i think that um if we look at the global context if we just take a country like india alone just as a comparison. You can just see the numbers, you know, like inflate because of the population, and it looks like, you know, now women we're making so much noise and the girls look so empowered, but when we when we when we really start to look down at the numbers, there's so much we really there's so much that has to be done, and um, I, I always remember, you know, Wangari Madai who always said, if you empower a girl, she will have to marry an disempowered boy, you know, so it's important to make sure that they're growing at the same pace but I think the girls are still way behind and we see that across the world equal pay we're not there yet you know boardrooms you know corporate we are not there yet we are so far you know if we look at the member of states uh, across the world we're not even close to that and I say we're not close to that because we are the number one um, shoppers we have the bug the purchasing power we are running the homes we are doing so much and have so much capital, but somehow the countries and society are not investing enough in women. And that's why we want to understand what is the problem. And um, my question to you, I guess, is can you speak about these persistent gaps in girls' access to primary education or secondary education or education in general? Um, You can decide which approach you want to take. And why working with local partners and, like you said, family and community um, that support adolescent girls and young girls is critical, and I said adolescent girls because you mentioned the point about marriage, you know. And this is, and you said for you, what seems to be logical is that you know, 18 years and above is what somebody should at least consider an adult ready to get married. So I'm just, I would just like to understand these persistent gaps that are constantly there, and and you touched on one of them, which is the cultural context, and I think this is quite complex, but what would you recommend we do to address that?
0: Um, I actually think that the gap actually is because of culture. Culture actually is the driver of that kind of result. And uh, remember, we are still pretty cultural, especially in our rural areas because you find that uh, the numbers you've mentioned in terms of the gaps you've mentioned are persistent in rural areas now what to do about that again education education can never be over emphasized and education here meaning um the entire family globally so what we are looking at here is because A large, not a large, all of this is driven by the heads of the home. I remember one time we were in a scenario where a certain debate was being carried out and women were being told to say no to bride price. And it was coming out that, no, it's not the women who ask for bride price, it's the men who actually do that. So, yes, so while we are educating the girl and while we are saying let us focus on the girl, the girl is not isolated, right? Right and that is and when she's dropping out of school she's not dropping out of school largely on her own there are factors that are affecting her which are coming from family and the family setup and the social setup as well usually um marriage is a big deal it is still a big deal marriage at a young age is still a huge deal the other thing also is uh, pregnancies teenage pregnancies it's a big deal when kids fall pregnant. Yes, there have, have been programs on. We have said let us not expel them. The there was a time we used to expel girls who would be pregnant. Now we are saying they they can go on with education, but still the the support the support for the girl to go on with her education after a pregnancy is still not that established. Now, um, when I talk about education, I'm talking about the family. I'm talking about education that is directed to heads of homes, and um, I feel that if we have programs whereby we actually go in and um, and we have a fora with with. Parents with with homes with head of homes, I feel that we can make a lot of progress. You know, you brought up an inter- interesting point when you say that. Um, let us look at the patient who is on ICU more. I mean, fast. Then we look at the other guy who can walk and breathe on his own, and so on and so forth. And I do agree with that. The only thing I feel is that um, that example might not be comparable to a scenario where we are saying, let us look at the girl and the boy, because whether we like it or we don't like it. The guy who is affecting the girl is the boy. The boy could be the father, the boy could be the uncle, the boy could be whatever male it is that, that we are looking at. And then the boy is also the future partner of the girl. Now, we had uh, we once had training, I was once involved in a training program, In a certain area, Kajado, you know Kajado, one of our um, rural areas where we're dealing with the Maasai women. And you know Maasai women, Maasai are very elaborated, are very, very cultural. And I remember that their husbands were not allowing them to come and attend the training program. So we had to go to the homes and allow and tell the men, come, come and be part of it. So they came, the only way we could have trained them is if the men were present so that they could understand what it is that the women are being told. I think that they felt that they were being disempowered or emasculated in those sessions. So right there, I saw the need to incorporate both gender when it comes to that kind of education. And that, that was the only way we were able to get through to these women, to empower, and even to buy, to get buy-in from the men, to support them in, in allowing them, women to come. So, yes, yes, we focus on the girl, but of, again, with educating the society.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you on that point, because it's important for the family and community to be involved. Um, to address if it's child marriage the father would have to you know he could approve it or disapprove it and depending on how you know the the communication takes place then you know you might you don't have control over those situations if the family or community is not involved so i totally agree with you on that that approach um while you were talking about um the project you did in uh, the program uh, in Cajado what crossed my mind is the role of government and what they can do because i think um, you know, when, 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 when we look at the European context, you have one culture. I think solutions there are not as complex as if you were to address a challenge in Kenya where you have about 42 tribes, 42 tribes, and these tribes have distinctive differences in culture, traditions, and practices. So when you go to one community, one program may blend, may go perfectly smooth and, you know, you know, may achieve fantastic results. And you may take the same model, take it to another community, and it's so difficult to implement it because it goes against against, um, many aspects of the culture. So I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think that the government here has to take a certain role and responsibility because they are responsible for the country and not have these isolated programs kind of running independently independently but have this control mechanism where they're actually doing something to provide quality education. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I absolutely agree with you, absolutely. And the government actually has played a part. You mentioned Women Education Fund. And one of the things sorry, Women Enterprise Fund. And that was a fund and an organization that was actually set up by the government. To support women and the wonderful thing about that fund is that it lends to women without collateral remember one of the challenges that we have had as women when it comes to getting credit is collateral so it actually lends without collateral it lends it gives a grace period of three months before you begin to pay and actually you can pay over the course of a year at a very very in fact actually yeah at it's interest free so you can imagine interest free mm-hmm. no collateral mm-hmm. and you have there's a grace period this fund has really really helped so many of the women in enterprise who I have worked with because remember these are uh, uh, an organization that I have partnered with now so the government has actually come up with such programs so when we are as we as educators when we are going into the communities Again, we are sensitized on the cultural aspects of the communities that we are going to. And that is how we were able to even handle this Maasai group, because we were expecting those kinds of scenarios. Because again, like you said, yes, different communities have different outlooks, of course. So with the various communities that I have worked with, with each of them, we have approached them differently. Taking into consideration what their unique situations are, but the government has actually done a lot of support has has given a lot of support to women. So that Women Enterprise Fund is one of them. I thought that it is a fantastic idea, and there are so many women whose lives have changed just because of Women Enterprise Fund. Yeah, women's lives, which means the family itself. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And and. And I, I just, I, when you were talking, I was thinking of the point you made about the role of the men in the community and the program that you did. And what crossed my mind is in the U.S. they have this um, campaign going he for she. And so it's quite evident that the men have to be involved. And I think this is one of the persistent gaps. So you have all these perfect programs, but they're not, if you don't get the support at home, If you have to do the household chores, your wedding has been planned when you're 13, your father has a certain concept of what a girl should be or not be, and this is a global problem in India, same thing, arranged marriages and all that. I think that maybe we can touch on a few more gaps because I know for a fact that this he for she or, you know, fathers and the role, uh, you know, the role of the fathers, the brothers, the uncles and so on, the male, our male counterparts, is very important in order to actually shift the community. And again, we have to know that for a very long time, and I think Kenya is one of those countries where the men still control the wealth. So if they don't understand the need, and they don't understand the benefits, then they will be kind of reluctant to invest. So I guess my question to you is, how can the fathers, the brothers, the husbands, the uncles, whatever, our male counterparts, become champions for girl education, Mm. especially in traditional societies. And why I traditional societies is because, um, please remember that if for those of you who have come to Kenya, you know that Nairobi cannot be compared with Kajiado or, you know, Marsabit or, you know, other rural communities. The mindset is different, the culture is different. This is a city of the traditional, the rural, different economic, you know, situations. Their factors are different. So that's why I specify traditional societies.
0: Mm. Okay. Now, in fact, even just to add on to what, what you have asked there's a the there's a scenario where the men are affecting the girl education but they are also and then they they are also um what do you call it they are the owners of the wealth the wealth is in their hands so of course they're the ones who have say on what is happening but i'm happy to pronounce and announce that that is changing and changing very fast women are now beginning to acquire their own wealth. Now, there's also the bit about, remember I told you about the WEF, the Women Enterprise Fund, and other table banking types of um, monies that come into the hands of women. The interesting thing is that even when the woman is the one who has gotten the credit, it is the man who controls how that money will be spent. So a woman goes, gets her money from WEF, comes home, and the man will direct how That credit is going to be spent, and that is one of the things actually that we are trying to address in our education. Now, how do we do that? Um, one, yes, you've mentioned the HeForShe program, I and I do believe that we also do have it here, here in Kenya. The HeForShe yeah, program it's is
3: here, a yes, it is. Yeah.
0: yeah, um, again, to have, um, other than education, to have such. Programs where we actually do recognize men who yeah, are. How can
3: they be champions? How, yeah, how can we make them become champions of girl education in traditional societies? Because I just recently read a statistic where 70% of the girls. No, we were speaking to one of our colleagues and she mentioned that 70% of the girls in a community called Homer Bay are not in school. Now this was a topic we're discussing, which was specifically about unintended pregnancy. That's a very high statistic. And my thing is, if the community was on the same page, you know people had the education, they were sensitized, you know they were speaking to their girls, you know they were you know they were in touch with what is going on in the lives of their daughters and they know the value they just bring when they complete their education and so on. I think those statistics would be different. And again, you mentioned earlier in the interview that, um, you know, before people were not taking the policies very seriously, now they are, they're implementing, it's also part of our discussion we had earlier this week. So I'm just wondering, how can we make them become champions? Because we have so ma- we have men who, are, who get it, they campaign for it, they advocate for it, but when we look at the majority of the population in India, we still see women being gassed with gasoline because she just didn't do the right thing or her dowry was too low. You know, we see girls being malala, Mahala, malala, you know the story of Malala, the Indian girl who was burned and she had to go for a reconstructive surgery because she wanted to go to school and she she went against the will of people you know, people who thought that she should not be in school and now she's a huge advocate. So the problem I think is who are doing this, you know, why do the men not get it? And how can we shift the gear so that they get it like the others already get it and become champions for girl education. In, um, I think this really happened mostly, I would say not hundred percent but mostly in traditional societies. I think this is where I, when I see all these Indian things when it, you know challenges the gasoline, the rape of the girls in school bus, the school buses get attacked because they're not supposed to be in school. I think there's something we need to shift and make these men become champions and allies and get it now that's I think one of those what i what I like to call the persistent gaps
2: mm.
0: Mm, yeah, I, yeah, I get that. And um, now you see. Re- remember, we are dealing with um, what do you call it? We are dealing with a a habit that has persisted over generations and generations and generations. And now we we and and
2: it's.
0: I think that we are loosening it, right? We are loosening its hold on us. And um, so what I feel is that again, continued programs. Like we've said the He for she program. remember that in traditional settings there's a lot of community um, what what do you call it identification with community and in those rural settings, we have opinion leaders within the community, and usually what happens is that when it comes to communicating uh, certain matters, opinion leaders come in very, very handy when it comes to that in terms of um actually relaying the message, being the ambassador of such messages because, again, they are listened to a lot. Their opinion actually is uh, taken the, – the people take heed of what these opinion leaders are saying. So that is one of the things, to actually have ambassadors within the community who are used um, to partner, with organizations that, like the one that you mentioned, that we're talking about our colleague, with our colleague about, um, when it comes to getting messages down to all the way to the uh, home setup. Then, um, again, the thing that you're doing is fantastic, empowering the woman. You know, also, when the woman is more empowered or, or more enlightened, then she expects better. Actually, that is even the first. That would be the first place to begin. What is it that we are expecting as women? Okay, so even before you go into the this message, it has been drilled into the man and and knocked into the head of the man, right? What is the woman expecting? So through the education and the, the empowerment that we are talking about, I think that uh, I believe that we are raising the level of expectation of our women. And with that raise the level, then hey there's a thing that will become a thing of the past, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a good thing to know that right now female gen- female genital mutilation is actually beginning to be a thing of the past, though I know it is still practice here and there the persistent gaps you're talking about the marriage at a certain age is beginning to become a thing of the past we are actually finding women coming up and even In those communities, there are women who are coming up to champion such causes because they have lived in those types of setups.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah, and then also lobbying. We need to pressurize government and um, other bodies who are coming in to do community work there um, on a certain kind of sensitization because remember that we can never, ever... uh, you can never, the reach of the government and the influence of government can never be overemphasized.
3: Yeah, and I think you this is, I think, a good time for us to switch gears a little bit because, you know, you, you've you ended that part, of the first part of the interview on a very high note that when you, When you lobby, and I mean, you've told us what we can actually physically do to empower the girls and actual steps that we can take. So use the, you know, lobby, uh, you know, make the government take responsibility and accountability and um, continue to raise expectations for our women and our girls. And on that note, I I think we can switch gears into STEM. And the sciences and education, and I think you know the the popularity and strong interest in you know encouraging girls to pursue um, the sciences is is there because I think we have raised expectations. We now realize that we have the purchasing power. We although it's it's a very interesting narrative, but we don't want to go into too many statistics about purchasing power, how much millions of women spend, but we've realized the power of the woman and her the needs that have been addressed by products which sometimes are not, not what women want, but they didn't design the product, they were not on the table, nobody cared about their opinions, but yet the ones who have to change the diapers, and the diaper is loose, it's falling. I mean, there's so many things that the women actually, um, there's a lot of, um, what do I say, um, good insights and inputs that women can bring to the table in terms of innovation and creating a product that actually serves the needs of families. Because it starts from the top to the baby to the kitchen to the furniture everything she's basically responsible for that. So, what what do you think the role of STEM? We like to to take STEAM because we think the arts are important. Please,
2: uh, oh, STEAM.
3: Oh yeah. So STEM basically stands for science, technology, engineering. We added arts and math. But a lot of um, GAL projects usually just focus on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. But I think the arts are also quite. They have quite a lot of sciences. If you look at music and orchestra, you know you have to be good in math. and there are certain technical skills that you have to have. You know, if you were to go to Juilliard, for example, mm-hmm. to study music, you have to have very high mathematical skills and so on. So that's why we included the the arts part. Yeah. Also, just to give flexibility, because some girls don't want to be engineers, mm-hmm. but they can still pursue arts, be creative and innovative. And that could also impact um, certain design processes um, for people who are working in the engineering field. And I think a good example is the Apple phone. You need a creative mind to design the, you know, the interface, and then you need the technical team to then implement it and you know, do all that stuff. Um, but there's a lot of debates about is it adding value? Is it doing what it should do? Do girls actually want to be in STEM, or are we forcing them? Are we pushing them? Yeah. I don't know. Please share your
0: thoughts on that. What you say actually is pretty interesting because there's a, there's a joke that goes around that the high heel was never designed by a woman. And yet we are the ones who wear it and it breaks our back and our ankles and our knees and so on and so forth. Anyway, that not that aside... Um, Yeah, I do think that uh, girls very much want to be in the sciences. They want to pursue careers that are based in STEM. Myself, I was one of them. I actually did want to be an engineer, but, uh, well, I ended up pursuing other avenues, which is okay, but there are so many. In the course, in the work that I do, I get to meet so many girls and so many women and many of them actually do want to pursue science-based careers and uh, so what have we done to encourage that I think maybe what we can answer is uh, how are we encouraging that and I think that again you know everything that, you, you know. Education can never ever be overemphasized. I, in fact, I think education cuts across. In fact, education is in, in, in everything, right? Again, the our schools, our homes, our parents, who are the the um, what do you call it, the first role models of, of the girls and the kids. I think that there's a lot that can be done when it comes to paradigm shifts. Because I, I actually, if I can um, share with you a story, an example, something that happened to me one time. I remember I once met someone way back when I was in college. So I bumped into some fellow and he asked me what I was studying. And I remember telling him that uh, I was, well, I I be a bit cheeky and told him that I was studying arts, Bachelor of Arts, which was not true. And the the fellow was actually made the comment and said, "Wow, okay, that that's actually a good course. That's a good course for a girl." And that that has stayed with me for a very long time because I was thinking to myself, "What do you mean? I I was actually meant to be an engineer in any case that's not what I, I was studying." But you can see and this is someone who seemed to be educated. This is somebody who you'd have called cosmopolitan in the way he looks, in the way uh, in his social manner. So that tells you where we are at, we still do have that kind of mindset that the girl cannot do math, the girl cannot do science, how can the girl do this? So again, education through schools, sensitization uh, through communities, and um, programs that parents are involved in, really. programs that parents are involved in. But one of the things that I'm very, very happy about is that we have a lot of mentoring happening, especially especially in girls' schools. And through those mentoring sessions, it actually comes out, that's when the girl actually realizes that there's a lot that she can do, and it begins with her.
3: Yeah,
0: um, The reason why I posed that question about the STEM is because
3: um, I read um, some research um, journals about the STEM, and some of the findings of um, in these journals was that um, when we tell girls to pursue careers in STEM or we tell them to join a STEM program, we don't take into consideration the interests of the girls, and then they studied um, what girls like, what boys like, and they realized that girls like to be engaged in whether it's STEM, whether it's math, anything, something that has a social impact. So um, one of the questions that I read was, should we be, and I'd like your thoughts on this, should we be actually, instead of saying be interested in STEM, should we be actually looking at how STEM can, can, can address what girls are interested in? So kind of do it reverse. So we tell girls, we want you to be interested in sciences because it's good for innovation. It will help you be able to design cars that women like, safer cars for families. I mean, there's so many things that companies have actually had to pay the price because they didn't have women on board. Um, I'll give an example. Um, there was a car that was designed, and it was tested on men. And the impact on a man is different from the impact you know, on a woman when there's an accident. And when an accident actually took place and the woman um, was in the car with her child, the impact was much more intense and they didn't and this was a car that had passed one of the highest safety standards, but the way the accident happened it showed that everything was wrong in their processes and their security testing because they had not tested it on women. They just assumed we'll test on a man and it's fine. It cost them a lot of money. And so I think and I think when we look at get involved we know why innovation, take care of our families, our safety, our children, our community, and so on, and we need to also have a say in that, but then I think the studies show the girls want to have a social impact, so my question is, do you think that we should reverse it? Meaning, we now say, apply the STEM in what the girls are interested in, in a way that they can actually have a social impact.
0: In fact, not, and not just in this case, I think in any case, begin with end in mind. Always begin with the end in mind because, like you've said, and you've brought out a very interesting point that, yes, when we say be interested in sciences, be interested in sciences, and that's the message that we are drumming and we are drumming and we are drumming, girls begin to say, I want to be an engineer. I I want to be – I remember going through – I usually go to my alma mater annually for their career day, and I speak with 16-year-olds about what it is that they would like to be, and and so on and so forth, and therefore what subjects should they take. And the interesting thing is that when we draw the trajectory, or rather, when we look at what it is that they love to do, many of them will say, I love music, I love the. I love, um, I, I found it very interesting that the things that they said that they love to do, then eventually when I ask them, so what is it that you want, what career do you want to pursue? I expected them to to talk about being chefs, being musicians, or, or whatever it was that was in line with the thing that they love. But they would end up telling me, aeronautical engineer. I would like to be, many of them said complex stuff like that, neurosurgeon, which is okay. It is wonderful to want to be a neurosurgeon, but I felt that there was no correlation with the thing that they love when when we were having conversations with them the neurosurgeon bit was not coming out the aeronautical engineer bit was not coming out so i felt that they were saying complex things for the thing, sake of saying complex things because there's a certain message that has been drummed and drummed over and over and over again now the like you've said yes i believe that the message should be with the end first What is, is it that you'd like to do or the the impact you understand the impact or even starting with what is it that you love to do today and to draw trajectories from that but then you find that there's a disconnect between from what it is that they are saying they want to be and what it is that they love to do i think that message is a message that needs to be i think that narrative should be changed Mm-hmm. Or the message needs to be rephrased, because mm-hmm. I did. I actually have encountered that, and it's a, it's an interesting thing that you brought it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many of them are saying neuro neurosurgeon, aeronautical engineer.
3: Like still yes. And they've been yeah. Yes. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. So people are no longer saying engineer like we used to say. Even for us, we used to say big. Careers like engineer, architect, doctor. Now they are even specifying further when it comes to the doctor. So I found that, that very interesting.
2: Yeah.
3: Another thing that um, I'd like your thoughts on is, so I interviewed this woman who has an organization in Denmark, and she wants she helps girls code. She gives workshops about coding, and so I asked her, "What is your experience, you know, as a woman in STEM?" And what would you advise the young girls? And she said, there's one thing that people don't really talk about, and that is we make it look like going to STEM. It's going to be a really, really good thing for you. It's going to be beautiful and all that. And she said, yes, it's a career. You can make a lot of money. There's a lot of things that can really make you have a successful and comfortable life. But what people forget to mention are the challenges within STEM. Um you work in a male-dominated society, you know, environment. You have certain challenges with even people listening to you or taking you seriously. So when you go into STEM, they think, now we've done the campaigns. When I land on the job, everything is going to be so easy, so smooth. And then when they get children, the STEM is a very demanding um, job where you have to code nights on end. And now what happens is a lot of women start to drop off. They fall off the STEM career, not because they're not interested, not because they don't like their job, but because they can It doesn't work. So, this conversation, I think, kind of twisted into work life balance and kind of also considering people with families and so on. But I think what I got from this discussion is. When we talk about STEM, we only aggrandize it, we glamorize it, but I think we should also prepare the girls for a career in STEM. Let them know what it means, let them know what the challenges would be so that they are prepared, then they can respond
0: in a prepared way. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, absolutely. I agree with you on that. However, there's, there's something that I've always felt, not only self, but it is something that I believe even today, and even the work that I do is based around it. And that is, I feel sometimes we um, we beat the drum of the woman, the woman gender, the woman agenda, the woman agenda. I feel sometimes we, to the extent that we might, what do you call it? We 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 end up. Um, not taking it out of proportion, what, what what am I looking for? I'm looking for, uh, to the extent that that becomes our focus, such that we don't move away from that. What do I mean? Now, for me, believe it or not, I was an adult. Actually, not just an adult, I was in my late 20s, when I realized that there's a conversation about women and men. I did not know That a woman is treated differently from the man and a woman goes through a certain thing from a man and so on and so forth and because of that i did not know i felt equal to a boy therefore i got the grades that a boy would get and i did the course that a boy would do and in many situations i even went and got jobs and was paid some in some of my jobs i was even paid more than the man who was doing the same thing that i was why? Because I did not know it was not my story. So one of the things that I feel is that even as we focus on these girls and women in society and the, the women, the woman agenda, maybe we can um, soften the message such that it does not become the story of the girl. If if you, you get what I mean, the story that I'm a, I'm a girl, therefore I'm disadvantaged. I'm a woman, therefore I'm disadvantaged. I feel that maybe um, when we are speaking with them, even when it comes now to STEM, I do agree with you fully on what you've said about the challenges. Yes, it's true. We don't take into consideration that it will not be rosy. We think that because we've gone into it as a girl, it will be easier for us. No, it will not. But I also think that uh, the message that uh, you can do it still is, I think, is a powerful message, yeah.
3: yeah. I agree with you that, I mean, you can you can absolutely do it, and um, maybe I didn't explain it very clear, but what I meant, what she actually said was that you can do it, you do the job really well. She's actually quite successful in her organization. She does really fantastic programs, but what she meant is the these kind of STEM careers are male-dominated. The policies, the work hours, everything is structured for somebody who is male. They don't say it, but that's how it is. And so women are still taking care of their homes. So if they say you're going to be having a coding hackathon, and this is her real life, she has to be there for the hackathon. And the hackathons take 48 hours, it's a competition. You have to be there to win and participate. Now, if you have children and you're running the home, you will not be able to do this. So when we're telling women going to STEM, a lot of them will be alienated because of their lifestyle, because of their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Some are single mothers. She would absolutely love to have a STEM career, but it's impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think when we're talking about the women and gender, And I totally, I mean, I would be the same as you. I mean, I was raised in a family where those are not things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I like to call these things that men do as social biases, Mm -hmm. that subconscious biases. They're not Mm -hmm. conscious about it. It happens. You walk in the boardroom, they tell you about, they're talking about your hair. Mm -hmm. And I like the way Christine Lagarde, you know, the IMF woman, Mm -hmm. right there at the top, doing her thing, you know, running the world, you know, but Mm -hmm. she still says when she starts to talk, they go on their cell phones. This is because of certain unbiased subconscious bias that they think that when a man is talking, they pay attention. A woman is talking, they are a bit fidgety, they are shifty, and we've also observed that in our own meetings. So I think when women are shouting and saying this, it's not because all of us are equal, raised in the same environment, but I think we are speaking for the whole world. You know, we're speaking for those who really are told, you're going to get married, and she has no choice. She doesn't know, and she actually is the same like us. She doesn't know the difference between a boy and a girl. She just knows that is my life, and she accepts it. Now, we know because we had the opportunity to maybe read, you know, go to university. We know about equal pay. For many years, we didn't know we were being underpaid until some woman raised her voice and said, hey, ladies, wake up, you're being underpaid. And then again, the next step came. We were still being underpaid, so what's the problem? Until another woman raised her voice and said, you have to learn how to negotiate, you know, it's an equal playing field, all fair in work and business. Mm-hmm. So now we are learning from these women who are telling us, hey, wake up, look into this. And the things we are comfortable with, we don't notice. Mm-hmm. Another observation we did um, in one um, activity group for boys and girls, this is an, you know, it was equal opportunity. We just observed. We didn't do anything. So we brought lunch to the boys, to the kids, and we told them to eat. And when they were done, they told them, okay, you're done, go play. The boys ran out. The girls stayed to clear the table. We didn't tell them anything. We did not say anything, then we took them out to the playground and we said, "Go ahead and play. You have ten minutes to use as many um machine- you know games you know monkey bars, slides as you can. The goal was to use as many within a minute. The boys were so adventurous, they took risks they were going into even those that they couldn't comprehend. They were just flying. The girls were a bit more cautious mm-hmm. so when i I remember interviewing the girl in code her and um she was telling us that. As a young girl, she wanted to be with the boys. She was a risk taker. She was so out there coding. She loved the math and the what and all that kind of stuff. And she was always told, "Be cautious, your girl. Be careful. Don't climb trees. Don't do this." So already we are taught to take precaution, and this is then translated into our adulthood when we are in the you know, you're in the job interview, and now you have to negotiate your salary, you're already thinking of all the cautionary measures that you should take not to mess up the interview, to just take care of the job, take care of your family. But the guys are like, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go full on. So I think when we're talking about this kind of women and gender, we're just trying to, um, you know, some women know all this stuff. They know it. They don't need to be told. They're preaching to the choir. But there's some who don't know, like some things we didn't know, and we had to, you know, learn as we go along. And I think why we're, why I'm asking this question is because we want to understand what works, what will help the girls, and we don't want to push them also. We, we value all jobs, whether you're a cleaner, whether you're a cook, it's equally as valuable, whether you're an entrepreneur, a stay-at-home mom, all is just fair and good. So we don't want you to feel, I have to be in STEM, but we know the importance of STEM, and we know that it's important for us women because the future is technology, the future is innovation, and we have to also shape up, you know, our own future. And so I think that's why we're pursuing it. But in your context, having had a lot of experience in education with all these different organizations and foundations who focus on education and women empowerment, what I guess I would like to know is how is is STEM relevant? Um, is STEM relevant for Kenya? is steam for young girls relevant for Kenya and how can Kenya use this to shift the country and actually make the country develop how are we going to use all these steam clubs and you know what we are trying to say in the girls to actually boost our development sorry
0: steam is most definitely relevant for Kenya we are part of the globe <laughs> and uh, like you said I mean, um, the next frontier is technology. Actually, we already are in that frontier now, which is technology. But before I even say, go into that, there's something you've said which uh, resonates very much with me, and I remember um, listen, or reading a piece that talked about men and women and the differences in terms of socialization. Remember that our only differences are socialization. And w- one thing that this lady said... Was men are brought up to take risks, women are brought up to be perfect. That right there is a huge difference, and that's why you're going to find that you do you want to please people, you want to make sure that everything is perfect and nobody um, nobody's feathers have been ruffled, and you want to make sure. While with men, th- 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 I mean they don't have to be that cautious. It does not matter how they handle people and so on and so forth. Now, what is it that we can do about that, first and foremost? What we must do, because it's the only thing that can be done, is paradigm shifts. The paradigm must shift around that. You're talking about a woman who is an adult, or not even an adult. Let's talk about the teenager. They have already... There's a way they're already looking at the world and their life and their place in it. And remember, this person, even the teenager, has already been told or she's already received the message subliminally that she has to be perfect. That right there, what does it mean? It means that we need to shift paradigm. So, while we are doing the education, yes, we can teach them, we can um, give them technical skills, we can give them all manner of skills, and they can pass exams uh, and get all manner of A's. But what mindset are they operating in? Are they still operating in that mindset that says, I have to be perfect, and therefore, no, I, that loan, I don't want it because I may default? But those are some of the things we dealt with. The risk with
2: of yes. Not, yeah.
0: Exactly. When we are dealing with the Women Enterprise Fund, We literally, I felt that I had literally had to hold women's hands or even pull them by the neck to come and take this money. They were scared.
3: Yeah, and it's 10% interest. Yes. And you're getting the training. No collateral. And they train you. Yes, and you're trained. Yeah, you also train them. Precisely. Yeah, and teach them how to do, even how to develop a business. Yes. So I'm just adding this because this training is really fantastic and we're showing you how the programs sometimes are there.
0: Mm.
3: we, We want to know why... You know, why are we not
0: flying? Mm-hmm. Precisely. So 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 now, so there was a bit of that, that women don't take risks. And the one who takes risks is, is frowned upon and is called uh, is an outlier. is a misfit. Now that's a thing that we must therefore be willing to accept. That listen, eh, whatever it is that you think about me does not affect me. Paradigm shift must happen. It must happen. Now, So you talk about STEAM. Yes, STEAM is very, very relevant in Kenya. Oh, yes, it is. There's so much opportunity here. Remember, again, what we've been talking about, the last frontier. Africa is the last frontier. So the opportunity here is fantastic. It is huge. And I see a scenario whereby homegrown solutions are going to do very, very, very well. And I'm so happy when I see kids coming out of school and, going into all manner of, in, of innovating this and, and and inventing that i love it and yes yes very very absolutely absolutely yeah.
3: okay i now we have to just wrap it up i don't know we could talk forever and um i think this has been a fantastic interview I mean, I've learned a lot. I've gained a lot of insights, and I, as soon as I share this with you, I look forward to your feedback and your insights. I think from the Kenyan context, you know, you've had from the horse's mouth. The people, women who, this is a woman who works on with these programs, and she's she's told you, she's given you a little bit of insight into onto what kind of programs are currently on the ground here in Kenya, the opportunities that are available, the different, um, you know strategies that you can incorporate, different approaches that you can take in your programs, And um, I'd like to thank you, Anne, so much for taking your time to talk with me and to help us understand, you know, get get better into, in, insights and understand, you know, some of the challenges, some of the opportunities and different approaches to different problems and solutions. And uh, with time, I think this will definitely improve how we approach our Science club, how we communicate with our girls, and the and how we the steps that we take even to um, before we design programs, as we develop programs, as we improve programs, that we'll take some of the you know the feedback and some of the suggestions and recommendations that you have shared with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, and um, in closing, if you'd like to add something that you know we development workers, women in general, international community corporate, just let us know what it is you want to leave us with your thoughts real quick.
0: Faith, I'll, I'll thank you for this opportunity. I have enjoyed this interaction immensely. And uh, my my parting shot, what's my parting shot? My parting shot actually is that as we are engaging in all manner of programs and as we are going into all manner of policy making around the girl, the woman, and her empowerment and her place in society. Let us remember that it starts with the mindset. What is it that we can do where the mindset is concerned? What can we do where paradigm shifts are concerned? Because your paradigm is what gives you the result that you get always, without exceptions. So thanks, Faith.
3: You're welcome, it was such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, I look forward to interviewing you again I hope that you will accept my invitation to interview you again. And, I mean, you should all understand why I would like to interview her again because there's so many different areas that she works in that are very, very broad. And so, you know, we want to develop programs that actually support our girls and develop communities that actually help Kenya become one of, I think, you know, the greatest countries, let me put it that way. If It's not already that. So we want to actually do programs that have a social impact and that actually where we can actually see the impact that is actually not just an impact in general, but one that actually is helping transform families and their children and their communities and so on. So thank you so much. Will you allow us to interview you in future? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Anne. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you.
2: I'll be a better man today.